Dashwood Mercenary Company proudly presents Wasteland Active Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond and between, welcome back to Wasteland Active Radio. As always, I am your gracious host, Crispy. We've got a big show ahead of us today, but before we begin, I'd like to apologize for last week. Our antenna froze over in the middle of our broadcast, and we weren't able to clear the ice until after the blizzard ended. Sorry about that, dear listeners. We would have completed the broadcast if it hadn't been hazardous to our health to clear the ice. Thankfully, the weather has calmed down significantly, so the chances of the antenna getting frozen over again are very low. Uh, just to be safe. Anyway, with that little bit of preamble out of the way, let's get on with the show. The big man himself is on the way. General Roosevelt will be arriving in camp sometime in the near future. The Black Traverse is blocking caravan traffic out east, and the Earth's hunger seems to be sated for the time being. More on that in today's announcements. After last week's nightmare weather, let's hope Bucket forecasts some clearer weather in this week's uh, weather forecast. A new ally joins the Dashwoods in the fight against Macklin, Moose Men, Massacre Merchants, and the air over Mountain View is starting to clear. More on that in this week's local news. Looking for a little preemptive home defense? Johnny has a solution to your security problems in this week's tech tips. Macklin's super mutants are a massive threat these days. Thankfully, Shoban knows what makes them tick, and she's going to share that with you in this week's Wasteland Health. After a music break, Atlas is going to interview a member of the Mercies, a local relief group helping people affected by Macklin's army. More from them in this week's On the Scene. Finally, we'll come back to me for an interview with one of the Dashwood's most abrasive privates in this week's Open Table. With our menu presented, let's dig into this delightful audio meal. In our first announcement... General James Roosevelt is on his way to Major Walsh's 19th Division camp in preparation for a doubling of effort to find Macklin's stronghold. The general will be accompanied by his teams of specialist soldiers, including the Rough Rider Mulrat Cavalry formed by the late General Taft. General Roosevelt is slated to arrive within the week and will be staying in the area, presumably until Macklin and his army have been dealt with. Details of the general's arrival will be kept to a minimum in order to ensure his safety during this campaign but it's believed that the general will be stopping at all nearby camps to collaborate with the officers and boost the morale of the Dashwoods. It'll be good to have the general on site. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to interview him while he's here. Wouldn't that be a treat, dear listeners? Honestly, I've heard so many people talk about him, I kind of feel like I need to interview him at this point. Kind of like when you've got a friend who's all like, oh man, this friend of mine is so cool. They saved my life in a bar fight one time by telling the guy trying to kill me a joke so funny, the guy laughed so hard he choked to death on his own spit. And you're all, wow, that guy sounds kind of cool. I hope he doesn't tell me a joke that kills me. You know what I'm saying, dear listeners. No? All right then, moving on. In our next announcement, the supply caravans won't be arriving in camp next week due to a large raider gang expanding out of the Black Traverse from the southern Nebraska exits. This gang, the, uh, well, this is, it's... 
well, it's a proper name and I need to give accurate info here, so... <clears throat> this gang is known as the Fuckbringers. Though they're occasionally also known as... Okay, an alternate name. I really should have read this report sooner. This gang is also occasionally known as the... Ugh. Sons of Fuck Machine. Never mind. Whatever. The Fuckbringers are survivors of the war waged on the pain pimps by the... Oh, hey. The Wire Clan. The Fuckbringers managed to recover enough to start growing their numbers and extending their influence. However, due to their weakened status amongst the gangs of the Black Traverse, the Fuckbringers have been forced to leave the Traverse under threat of annihilation. Like a wounded animal, the Fuckbringers are doubly dangerous as they are trying to cement a place for themselves off the Traverse. The Fuckbringers... How many times am I going to have to say that? Uh, their signatures aren't any different from the Pain Pimps. The Fuckbringers are known for their role in the slave trade, specifically sex trafficking, and are more likely to incapacitate their targets in order to sort through them. Be aware, though, that the Fuckbringers are currently desperate for a new base of operations and are more likely to attack smaller settlements with little intent to enslave the survivors. If you're in southern Nebraska, be on the lookout for Raider Clans, dear listeners. In our final announcement, as part of our crap sandwich, aka good news followed by bad news followed by good news, there are reports of the Church of the Starving Earth returning to their compound somewhere in central Nebraska. For those who don't remember, the Church of the Starving Earth is a genocidal cult trying to destroy humanity that comes and goes every few years. Currently, they are in the going phase of their cycle. While the reason they're retreating is uncertain, it is likely due to their failed attack on Chicago. While the church had a large army, they were poorly equipped and were cut down pretty quickly by Chicago's residents. According to reports, the casualties from the battle number around 15,000, with only two of them being from Chicago's guards, and both of those being from infection from injuries sustained during the battle. While efforts were made to track down the Church of the Starving Earth's surviving members, it's believed that they're based out of a region known as the Hell Drop. The Hell Drop is rumored to be the remains of a pre-war quarry in the eye of a constantly raging radiation storm. The members of the church know the way through the irradiated, monster-infested, twisted, and broken landscape, but they're apparently the only ones who know the way. As such, all efforts to finish off the Church of the Starving Earth have been utter failures. We'll get them next time, though, right? Well, that's all the announcements for today, so let's go over to Bucket for this week's weather forecast. Bucket, activate. What do you want? Uh, how long were you? The whole time. Your voice was grating on my audio sensors. Did you know your voice is unpleasant to listen to? Did you know the rasping sound of your voice is like listening to someone grinding a bell? Did you know? Did you? Ow, kind of harsh there, Bucket. Thought you ought to know. Bucket, forecast the weather. Acknowledged. Beginning weather forecast for the week of January 18th, 2288. Currently, the temperature is 41 degrees Fahrenheit, with a high of 41 degrees and a low of 38 degrees, 28% humidity. Overcast with light winds. Ambient radiation will increase by 1%. Thursday, the temperature will have a high of 43 degrees with a low of 39 degrees, 29% humidity, partly cloudy with light winds. Ambient radiation will increase by 1%. Friday, the temperature will have a high of 44 degrees, with a low of 41 degrees, 29% humidity, 
partly cloudy. Ambient radiation will decrease by 1%. Estimated weekly radiation level is... Condition yellow. Frequent radiation fluctuations predicted throughout the week. Travel with caution. Forecast complete. Performing diagnostics and printing satellite scans. Let's see what else we have coming up. Hmm. Ah, looks like we've got some pretty windy days coming up. Nothing too bad, but the temperature looks like it's going to stay pretty steady all week. So, very good news. Thanks, Bucket. Acknowledged. With how close we are to the mountains, hopefully the increased temperatures will help facilitate an avalanche. Bury me alive that I may die. You know, an avalanche would bury the rest of us too, right? When we're all dead, that won't be anyone's problem but the living. That's not nice, Bucket. What's gotten into you lately? Performing internal scans. Bug detected. Ah, guess Johnny has some more work ahead of him. Requesting fumigation. Wait, what? Bug detected. Requesting fumigation. So, a literal bug. Correct. Ah, still a problem for Johnny. Go ahead to Johnny's tent, Bucket. Acknowledged. Gross. How'd he get bugs inside of him? Eh, guess we'll never know. Well, that's it for today's weather, so let's go over to this week's local news. In our first news story, the Daring Dashwoods have made contact with representatives of the Wind River Collective. According to Dashwood Intelligence, the Wind River Collective are the descendants of survivors from the Wind River Native Reservation, including members from both the Shoshone and Arapaho tribes. After some negotiation, the Wind River Collective has agreed to work alongside the Dashwoods in their efforts to defeat Macklin and his army. The Wind River Collective and the Dashwoods are currently sharing information and materials regarding the supermutant threat in the region, hoping to expand each other's knowledge of the enemy, including possible locations of Macklin's stronghold. This new alliance comes after a skirmish between the Dashwoods and the Wind River Collective after some confusion regarding the raiders prowling the North Roads. Thankfully, there were no casualties, and the injuries were minor, allowing the Alliance to continue without any hard feelings. Further information regarding the Alliance is being kept to a minimum in order to keep our efforts from being ruined. That being said, according to representatives from the Wind River Collective, they have been holding out against Macklin's forces successfully for the past few years, though it has put a significant strain on their population. Glad to see they're still standing, though, as the Collective's forces have proven themselves to be highly effective organized, and hardy combatants, who have already managed to successfully blend tactics with Dashwood officers. Here's hoping for a long and fruitful alliance. In our next news story, we have an update on the Moosemen situation. According to Dashwood scouts, the Moosemen population has grown to dangerous levels, and they have become a significant threat to all creatures in the area. The local wildlife has fared well enough, likely due to their instincts keeping them away from the Moosemen. The Predators, on the other hand, have had their own populations decreased as the Moose Men have torn them apart. Literally. As for the human, er, humanoid population? Intelligent population? Eh, whatever. The Moose Men have been attacking people and leave very few survivors. Recently, a merchant caravan was wiped out by two Moose Men fighting over a mate. The lone survivor of the encounter, Jesse Bain, was pulled from under one of the merchant's carts by Dashwood Scouts. After receiving medical attention, Bain agreed to answer some questions regarding the attack. Bain was quoted as saying, There were two of them, not even focusing on us. They just stood up and started pounding on each other, pushing each other around. 
They came closer to the road as we were trying to get out of there. They just rolled through our carts, killing everyone and everything under them. It was like watching giants fighting. They tore us apart without even focusing on us. It was like a force of nature. End quote. Mr. Bain is being put under the care of the Mercies, the local relief group the Dashwoods have been working with lately, and is expected to make a full recovery before being returned south to his home settlement. I think it goes without saying that if you encounter a moose man in the wild, you need to run as far away and as fast as possible. There isn't a universe where you walk away unharmed from an encounter with an angry moose man, so take my advice and just run, dear listeners. Ahem. In our final news story, Mountain View's quarantine has been lifted after there have been zero new cases of their unique flu strain within the past two weeks. For those who don't remember, Mountain View reported an outbreak of a unique flu strain in their population several weeks ago with a whole host of nasty symptoms. While it is good to hear that they managed to survive the outbreak, there is some bad news. According to Dr. Kim Kath, Mountain View's sole surviving doctor, the flu resulted in the death of over two-thirds of Mountain View's population. Currently, the Dashwoods and the Mercies are helping to ease Mountain View's burden by providing security and medical services to the survivors. These services will continue until Mountain View's surviving population has recovered enough to return to their posts. While it's good to know they managed to contain their outbreak, it's still disheartening to see just how little of their population survived. Let's all remember Dr. Haight's advice and wash your hands, avoid people while you're sick, and don't cough or spit in anybody's face. Screw disease. Let's let the radiation, raiders, monstrosities, exposure, and starvation handle the killing, please. That was our last news story for the day, so you know what that means, dear listeners. It's time to go over to Johnny for this week's edition of Tech Tips. Ahoy, Johnny! Tech Tips off the starboard bow. What? Yar, you don't know how to talk like a pirate, do you, boyo? Uh, no? Yar, I cannot believe how I failed you. Anyway, go ahead, Johnny. Uh, yar, welcome aboard to Tech Tips. I be your... Do I have to talk like a pirate? What? No, just just take it from the top. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Tips with Johnny Windsor. I'm Johnny, and I'm here to... I'm sorry. The pirate thing threw me off too much. Today, I'm going to teach everybody about automated turrets. I'm sure that, while traveling, everyone has encountered at least one automated turret, whether it be one placed outside of a settlement or one set up by a tech-savvy raider. Automated turrets are the most common form of ballistic defenses and area denial. Today, I'm going to teach you how to make two types of automated turrets and how to deal with enemy turrets. We'll start with the basic gun turret. Before we go any further, I feel obligated to say that I am not a gunsmith. As such, the example I'm going to give is how to build a turret using a prefabricated firearm with a very basic ammunition reservoir. With that disclaimer, for your workspace, you'll need a computer with networking cables and a disk drive as well as a lot of space on a clean workbench with a screwdriver, plenty of screws, and a drill. If you want to create armor plating, you'll also need a welder and plenty of scrap. As for components, you'll need one functional firearm a rotating desk chair, scrap metal to use as a frame, a targeting card, a functional blender, a shopping cart, and several small motors. Additionally, if you can get your hands on a logic board from an automated turret, that'll save you plenty of time since you won't have to make your own. Once you have your supplies, we'll begin. To start, we'll build the frame that holds the gun. 
you'll need a frame capable of holding the gun and the motors used to activate the trigger. If you think of the frame as the hand holding the gun, that might help you figure out how to shape it and place the motors. Now, today, I'll be using a pre-war 10mm fully automatic machine pistol, but this method should work with most basic firearms. We'll start by using this steel scrap I salvaged from a shopping cart. I've already bent the steel rods into the shape I need. I took steel rods and made a cradle of sorts for the gun under the muzzle, in front of the finger guard for the trigger, under the finger guard, and two on either side of the grip. From there, I took another rod and made a space to strap a motor on with a small metal rod put in place to act as the finger pulling the trigger. I mounted the frame to the arms of the desk chair, using duct tape to keep them in place. Ideally, I'd be using a welder, but this is meant to be a very simple turret. Next, I used two of the shopping cart's wheels mounted to more of the cart frame and placed the wheels on either side of the swiveling post on the desk chair, making sure to make contact with the post. From there, I mounted the blender base, upside down, to the bottom of the chair's seat, connecting the blender's motor to one of the cart wheels so that, when powered, the blender can turn the seat and aim the gun. From there, we can start wiring the trigger motor and the blender through your logic board and connecting it to your computer terminal. Once you've made this connection, you can program the targeting card to fit your preferences, hook your logic board up to a power supply, and there you have it, your own handmade automated turret. Now, a laser turret is effectively the same setup, but you have the added benefit of being able to use a fusion core to power both the laser weapon and the turret, saving you space and keeping the turret relatively self-contained. Obviously, this is a very simple and very flawed design, but it's quick and easy to build in a pinch. Now that you've built your turret, let's talk about some of the best ways to destroy a turret that's trying to shoot you. The obvious answer is to shoot the turret until it is destroyed. However, this will likely consume a fair amount of ammo. It requires a direct line of sight to shoot the turret. Instead, I suggest using grenades, specifically pulse grenades. With a grenade, not only do you have the benefit of being able to throw it and duck behind cover, the explosive radius increases your chance of damaging the turret significantly more than shooting it. With a pulse grenade, your chances of destroying the turret are even higher, since the electromagnetic pulse created by the grenade can easily fry the circuits of any basic turret, removing the turret from combat entirely. That's all I have for you listeners. I hope I made my instructions clear enough to follow. Anyway, this has been Tech Tips with Johnny Windsor. Have a great day, and remember to carry a few extra pulse grenades when you're traveling. Yar, thank you, Johnny boy. Well, dear listeners, that was a pretty great segment from one of our child prodigies. How about we go over to our other child prodigy, Dr. Shoban, for this week's edition of Wasteland Health. Ahoy, Dr. Hayde. Are you ready to hoist your flags? Aye, Mr. Crispy. Avast, ye scurvy dogs. Dr. Shoban has arrived in port for this week's Wasteland Health. I'm your sawbones, Dr. Hayde, here to teach ye land lovers how to keep your sea legs attached. Okay, okay. I'm done with the pirate thing. <clears throat> All right, everybody. I have a very special edition of Wasteland Health today. The scouts have managed to bring in several super mutant bodies. One of which I'll be using to teach you all a lesson on super mutant physiology. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been able to do a full on 
Topsy, and this is the first time I've ever done one on an actual soccer field. Just like 
this. Oh, through the skin and a muscle. Oh, that's thick. Okay. Two more. I'm gonna go check on Shoban, make sure she's alright. I know she can handle herself, but still. It's not every day you're attacked by a super mutant coming back from the dead. Decent timing, I guess, since it's time for today's music break. I'll be leaving you with Take 5 by Dave Brubeck. Enjoy the breather, dear listeners. Hey, everybody! There you are. Hey! Hello! Ah, no, it's not my blood, jackass. I just massacred a super mutant I'd already opened up. Are you alright? I'm fine. (laughs) You know, it's a little dissection without getting covered in bodily fluids. So you're just going to remain covered in the blood of a super mutant you just dissected and were forced to kill? Huh? Reminds me of home. I don't know. Besides, I brought a towel. So, uh, what's this about the general already being in camp? He got here this morning, entourage and everything. It's a simple lie, but if Macklin's listening in again, hopefully he'll buy it. 
You really think Macklin is listening in on the show? Undoubtedly. Macklin will use every resource available to him to ensure victory. He was listening in, even during the battle for Station Hill. Hell, I don't know how he did it, but he managed to break into the broadcast for a few moments. I'm unsure how he did so as well. Macklin is resourceful, but I never saw radio equipment in his camps. Well, maybe we'll figure out how he did it after we take him down. Speaking of which, now that the Wind River Collective has shown the General where the stronghold is, when do you think the Dashwoods are going to make their move? I'm figuring that's what the officers are discussing with the General right now. They would be wise to come up with a plan of attack sooner rather than later. Before long, Macklin will make his move. Hmm? Hey, who are you? You with the officers? Well, I guess you could say that. Hey, guys. Major Sterling? Hello! Holy crap, Sterling, it really is you! you get here? We came in with the general's entourage. Just got back from the officers' meeting. I'd give you a hug, but I'm covered in blood right now. Well, I can see that. I also heard the broadcast. Good work. Major, what are you doing here? I thought you were back in Station Hill. I was. We've been rebuilding. Things are going great, by the way. The General put a team together that managed to open the vault where we evacuated the residents of Station Hill. Yes! Ha-ha! Ah, that's amazing! Amazing indeed! It hasn't even been a full year since they became trapped. This is significantly earlier than their ten-year imprisonment. Darn straight. As for why I'm here, this doesn't leave this tent. Got it? Got it. Understood. Yes, sir. You can trust me. Hello. The General has gathered as many Dashwoods that could be spared. He's been moving us slowly and quietly through the wastelands to bolster the front. He's even gotten support from Chicago. We're currently waiting for Colonel Grimm to get back with a high-ranking officer in Macklin's army they managed to capture. They managed to capture an officer alive? So I've heard. We'll be interrogating the officer as soon as they get back. We're hoping to make them tell us what defenses Macklin has prepared and how many troops he has before we make our move. Even with torture, it's highly unlikely the officer will talk. Do you really think the Dashwoods would torture one of Macklin's guys? After meeting General Roosevelt, I wouldn't doubt it. That's unsettling. That's war. Doubt the Dashwoods would do anything on par with what the blood drinkers or the surgeons would do, though. I sure hope you're right. That aside, how y'all been? Well enough. Scouting with Captain Holtz and, more recently, Colonel Grimm, has been an exhilarating and fascinating experience. Holtz has taught his scouts to move like hunters while Grimm's snipers are as silent as shadows. I've picked up their techniques and adjusted for my size and weight. You were already surprisingly light on your feet. It's kind of scary thinking you're even better at sneaking around. How about you, Shobong? Uh, it's been kind of rocky 
these past couple of weeks, but I've been getting better sleep these past few days, so that's helped a lot. Oh, but working the medical tent? Oh, you know, the injuries I've been tending have been mostly simple, but I've gotten so much practice in, and I've picked up some great new techniques, all while getting paid to do it. It's been great work. Even if a lot of that had been patching one accident-prone private again and again. Glad to hear that. Good to know the Dashwoods have a doctor as reliable as yourself working in the medical tents. Johnny? Back to doing what I did for Station Hill, but with fewer resources and while constantly moving. It's been a welcome challenge, though, stretching my supplies as far as I can. Fewer robots, but more turrets and power armor so I've got more experience on that front. Oh, and Lieutenant Colonel Tinsmith and I have been trading shop secrets this past week. It's been a welcome challenge. Bucket has been well, too. Well, you did good work at Station Hill, so it's no surprise you do just as well, if not better, on the front. Good job, son. How have you been, Dave? Oh, hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, um, hello. I still don't understand what you're saying, but you seem enthusiastic, so I'm glad to see that. I gotta say, you seem pretty comfortable in Dashwood fatigues, Dave. How about you, Crispy? I can't complain too much. It's been nice getting to actually do the show again. Met plenty of new people, learned a lot more about the Dashwood presence in the wastes. Been working on breaking some bad habits, too. It's been great. Well, I'm happy to hear that, Crispy. Oh, I wanted to bring something up with you. The general requested to be interviewed on the show. Wow, really? Honestly, that scratches out the difficulties of approaching the general. He did have some stipulations. Namely, he wanted to have the interview recorded and played next week so as to obscure his location and not risk an attack on Danielle's camp. That makes sense. I'll oblige. No problem. I thought you would. The general said he'll meet you after the show in the secondary communications tent. All right. Man, you don't get an interview with top brass like this more than once a season. I've been hearing all kinds of things about Roosevelt. Glad to finally get a chance to see what he's like in person. He's a bit more intense than General Taft, but but I'm sure you'll do just fine. All we'll learn about General Roosevelt will be inconsequential fluff with the ghoul interviewing him. What a waste. Holy crap. (laughs) Are you jealous? What? No. Why would I ever be jealous of such a degenerate clown? (gasps) You are jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get to the subject of my interview. Someone from the Mercies. A civilized doctor. He's totally jealous. Yeah, he is. Even I could see that. Mm Mm-hmm. Hello. (laughs) I see some things never change. Welcome back, dear listeners, to Wasteland Active Radio. Crispy back on the mic after a little breather. You've just finished listening to Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes. That one's a real earworm for me. I get it stuck in my head almost all the time. 
What do the kids call stuff like that? Nifty uh, Super Murgatroyd. Yeah, that's right. I'm with it. I'm hip. <clears throat> Let's get back on track for a nifty little experience with Atlas in today's edition of On the Scene. Atlas. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to On the Scene. I am your Grand Master of Ceremonies, Atlas. Today, I have a very special guest. Someone who provides a valuable service to the Wasteland. I am, of course, talking about a member of the Wasteland Relief Group known as the Mercies. Please, introduce yourself. Uh, hi. I'm Esther O'Reilly. Are you feeling alright? Uh, of course I am. I'm simply telling the listeners that I am honored to have someone who provides a valuable and necessary service to the people of the Wasteland on my segment. Sure. Okay. So, are we still doing this interview? Yes, of course. First question. What can you tell me about the Mercies and your role with them? Well, the Mercies started around 20 years ago. Maybe more. Well before I joined, at least. We were founded by doctors from the New California Republic and former members of the Followers of the Apocalypse. Originally, the Mercies were known as the Surgeons, but one of the founding doctors, a man known as Dr. Lin, started performing unethical experiments on people. He fled with several of his students and they began raiding while still using the name the Surgeons to lure people in. We changed our name to separate us from Dr. Lin and his gang. Is that so? My colleagues and I encountered the surgeons in the red wastes of Minnesota. We were lucky to get away. My apologies. Please continue. Right. Glad to hear you escaped. Anyway, the Mercies provide several services in the wastes. We've spent a lot of time in Wyoming helping people stuck in more secluded parts of the region and making sure they're receiving proper medical care and nutrition. We also offer substance abuse treatment to anyone seeking it. As for my role, I work in gathering supplies and handling trading transactions for the Mercies. I'm also trained in first aid and I'm looking into learning more about psychotherapy. I like helping people. A noble cause. How did you find yourself working procurement of medical supplies? My parents are experienced scavengers and taught me everything they know. With a little training from the Mercies, I've learned what medical equipment we need, and my scavenger training has helped me find things that my colleagues would normally overlook. A valuable skill indeed. The Mercies have recently been working in conjunction with the Daring Dashwood mercenaries. What are your thoughts on that matter? The Dashwoods seem to be reliable, and their code of ethics fits well with our own. This has been a solid partnership from what I've witnessed, and I don't doubt that we'll continue working with them in the future. I enjoyed working with the Dashwood medical team especially. They know their stuff well when it comes to medicine. They certainly do. What are your thoughts on the war? The consensus with my fellow scavengers is that we're glad somebody is taking care of these rogue super mutants. They've decimated the population of the region, and they've hurt and killed more people across the wastes. 
The Mercies aren't trained for warfare, so there isn't much we can do but support the people trying to survive. We're hoping that the Dashwoods can handle this army of super mutants for everyone's benefit. A fair position. Macklin's forces are a true menace to humanity. I must say, after the last few interviews I've endured, this has been a pleasant experience. You seem quite level-headed, well-spoken, and well-informed. Oh, thank you. You have to be good under pressure when you're scavenging ruins full of creatures trying to kill you. I keep myself informed on current events so I don't walk blind into a life-threatening situation. As for my vocabulary, you can thank Alan Moore for that. I'm not aware of who that is. Alan Moore? He's a comic book writer from before the war. I've read as much of his work as I could find. Comic books? <sighs> I see. What's with that reaction? Comic books are childish and full of cheap thrills. Devoid of the complexities and nuance of fine literature. You are way off base. Comics can be just as complex when handled by a competent writer, all while the visuals bring greater depth to the scenes and characters. I'll believe it when I see it. That's a little more difficult. Unable to present evidence to support your case? Unsurprising. I have a near-mint copy of Alan Moore's V for Vendetta waiting for me back home. I am not about to bring a pre-war artifact like that out into a world where someone would shoot me and use it as toilet paper. Alright, fine. I'll humor you. Explain this comic. Okay. V for Vendetta is set in an alternate version of England where a fascist political party runs the country. All the while, an anarchist vigilante known only as V is working to unravel their regime. The story doesn't present V as an outright hero, as he uses manipulation, murder, and even outright terrorism in order to free England from the fascist government. It's one of my favorites. I suppose that does sound... more refined than the average comic book. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Moore has plenty of other great pieces, but there's also other writers like Garth Ennis, Warren Ellis, and too many others to list here. How the heck do you know these comics? Th these were deep cuts back in my day with all the hyper-conservatism before the war. STOP HOGGING THE GOOD INTERVIEW SUBJECTS! Uh, sorry. <sighs> now, according to my sources, these comics you've just mentioned were exceedingly rare before the war. How did you come upon them? One day when I was about 13, my parents took me on a scavenging run to an old comic shop. When I was digging through some collapsed walls, I found a bomb shelter. It was sealed, and when I opened it, I found the comic shop's owner in a collection of mint condition comics. By the looks of it, the owner ran out of supplies and took the quick way out in his bathtub, but left his collection intact. My parents let me keep whatever they didn't think would sell, which included the comics. I suppose that does make sense. What is it that drew you to these works of fiction? Well, I have what some of the doctors in the Mercies call ADD. It's a condition that makes it difficult for me to focus when it comes to things like reading. 
The visuals of the comics grabbed my attention and helped keep me focused when reading. Before that, my parents thought I was illiterate. If it weren't for comics, I would still be scavenging scrap with my parents in Vegas. Perhaps I've misjudged comics to some extent. I would still like proof of these stories of yours, but I shall withhold my judgment until that day. Well, I'm glad that I was able to sway you. I wouldn't go that far. Not yet. Regardless, you have already answered my typical final question. So instead, do you have any other notable hobbies? Ah, well, that comic shop didn't just inspire my love of reading. It also inspired my love of collecting pre-war toys. And what skill did this hobby teach you? I guess how to clean them properly without stripping paint or dissolving parts, but mostly I just think they're neat. I see. Well, this has been a very interesting interview. Quite enlightening. Thank you for your time, Esther. You know what? Maybe you're not as bad as those guys in the mess tent say you are. Hold your tongue, Atlas. It isn't worth the intestinal distress. Yes! Perhaps looks can be deceiving. Again, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening. I have been your Grand Master of Ceremonies, Atlas. You're welcome. Thanks, Atlas. That was an interesting interview. It's always nice to see someone get their preconceived notions questioned in a positive way. In what I hope to be a similar situation, let's go over to our open table interview. Now, let's bring in our guest. You may have heard his first interview back at Station Hill, his second interview at 17.5, and his interactions with Shoban. You know him, you tolerate him, it's Private Sam Smoker. Come on in, Smokey. All right. Um, what do I do? Here you go. Have a seat. There you go. Hey, thanks for agreeing to do an interview. All right. So, how are you? How are you doing? Um, doing fine. Can't really complain. Hey, good to hear. How about you tell the listeners about yourself? Uh, I'm part of the Dashwoods. I got moved to infantry for this war. Used to be at Station Hill before it got destroyed. Ended up at 17.5. Well, that's all well and good, but not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, not your career. Where are you from? (sighs) Man, why'd you ask me to do this? You just try to humiliate me on the radio? Again? Quite the opposite. I'm giving you a chance to defend yourself and your position. So, why do you keep dropping the M-bomb on Atlas? What? Muty? That's what he is. Just like you're a zombie. 
First off, I'm a ghoul, and Atlas is a super mutant. I met my fair share of ghouls, and not a single one of them takes kindly to being called a zombie. Can't say the same for super mutants, but I know Atlas hates being called a mutie, quote-unquote. Second, are you a smooth skin? Just some flesh boy? Flesh boy? What the hell is that supposed to mean? That's just what you are, right? A smooth skin flesh boy? But I... You... Oh, hell. Okay, I get what you're saying. Still ain't the worst things people have been... Ain't the worst things I've said to people. What do you mean? Listen, I don't hate zom... Er, ghouls. I know the mutants we're fighting ain't like your friend. I don't hate y'all. I just don't want to be cordial with y'all. It's easier keeping people away. I can't hurt people if they stay away. Where are you from, Smoker? Tennessee. And before you ask, yes, I was there when Roosevelt took down Proud Company. And no, I don't hate him. Wouldn't have joined the Dashwoods if I did. Well, this is a perspective I haven't gotten yet. What was it like there before Roosevelt liberated it? Uh, liberated ain't the right word. You gotta understand, the people that weren't slaves were happy with Proud Company. They didn't have to work any of the labor jobs and got to pretty much do whatever they wanted. But lots of people weren't able good for anything but labor jobs. Weren't any schools or nothing, and if you wanted to learn something, you had to convince someone to teach you. People were afraid of others taking their jobs, so they usually didn't teach people outside the family. If you couldn't get a job, you could try joining Proud Company. The company was fully in charge. They were the politicians and the police. They drilled it into our heads from birth that Proud Company were the heroes that kept the savages of the wasteland under control. Kids grew up wanting to join Proud Company so they could be heroes, too. I know I did. At first. Why didn't you? Proud Company didn't let mutants join. You don't look like a mutant to me. I was born with three extra fingers. Two on my left and one on my right. They mark that down when you're born. And if the mutation is bad enough... Proud Company will, um, get rid of the baby. You're telling me that they would kill newborns if they were heavily mutated? Yes. Jeez, that's heavy. What happened to your extra fingers? My... My paw broke them off me. He used to be part of Proud Company, but quit after his fellow mercs kept mocking him for having a mutant son. He'd get drunk, angry, violent, and beat me and beat my ma, and killed her eventually. Thought he'd kill me, and that's how bad he'd beat me. I hated him, but I still had it better than the slaves. Can you tell us anything about the conditions the slaves lived under? They were treated like animals. 
They all had shock collars on, even the kids. And they'd be forced to work labor jobs from sunup to sundown. Anytime they acted out or started falling behind, their drivers would activate their collars and shock them till they started acting right. They were packed into shacks to sleep. They were only given scraps to eat. Stuff worse than what we fed the hogs. I've run into raiders that treated their slaves better. But that's a low bar. Proud Company would specifically keep non-whites and non-humans as slaves. Some superior race BS. They'd always spout their propaganda and the people would eat it up. If you weren't a slave and weren't part of Proud Company, you had a chance for a decent life, but not much of one. We had homes, could own property, but the quality of life, homelessness, starvation, and sickness was common. Even then, we still had it better than the slaves, and people were proud of our state despite the squalor. That sounds awful. What was it like when Roosevelt took Tennessee? Proud Company kept the stuff Roosevelt had been doing a secret for the most part. We'd heard of the tax, but Proud Company claimed it was due to wasteland savages trying to destroy our way of life. When Roosevelt took Proud Company's headquarters in Graceland, it was a surprise to the people in my town. A week later, Roosevelt and his men showed up in my hometown of East Junction. They had everybody leave their houses so the Dashwoods could arrest any members of Proud Company hidden in town. We were all gathered in the streets. Roosevelt gave a speech talking about how Tennessee was being released from Proud Company's control and how the settlements would be able to govern themselves now. He said all of this with conviction, never breaking his stride even when the people of East Junction were calling him every dirty word in the book and making threats. I believed him, though. Proud Company had been serving us dirt on a platter for years, and we ate it up like freshly fried catfish. Nobody likes being told they've been conned. Whatever happened to your father? When Roosevelt was making his speech and rounding up Proud Company holdouts, my paw grabbed his service rifle and hid in the crowd, waiting to get a clear shot. I kicked the back of his bad knee in. I knocked him down and... All the anger I'd been holding on to, after what he'd done to me, to my ma, I kept beating on him till he stopped fighting back. I picked up his rifle and put it to the back of his head. I hadn't noticed the Dashwoods had us surrounded. Roosevelt walked up to us and told me to stand down. I listened. I dropped the gun and... Roosevelt took me aside. He asked me if my pa was proud company. I told him he used to be. He asked me why I did what I did, so, so I told him everything. Roosevelt just stood there and listened. He put his hand on my shoulder and 
told me to leave my paw to the Dashwoods. That he'd face justice for what he'd done. And he did. They hanged him a day later with around 30 other people. That's... <clears throat> Why did you join the Dashwoods? There was something else Roosevelt said that day that stuck with me. He said, if you plan to shoot an unarmed man, you best be looking him in the eyes. His conviction and the compassion he showed me, it stuck. It's cause of him, what he did for Tennessee ended and ruined a lot of lives. But it was like cutting a cancer out of someone's body. It had to be done before it started to spread. Way I see it, Roosevelt saved Tennessee. I'll follow that man to hell and back. Wow, that was... Look, I know it don't excuse how I act. I'm just telling you why. I'm still trying to get myself straight, and I'm still learning. Got anything else you want to ask, or can I go? Uh, what's your favorite meal? Brahmin ribs with a whiskey barbecue sauce, fried green taters, and a large glass of sweet tea. Can I go now? That's all I've got for you. Thanks for the interview, Smoker. It was... interesting. Yeah. Watch yourself out there. Got a bad feeling like something's about to happen. Hey, you too. And with that, dear listeners, today's show is over. It's certainly been an interesting ride, hasn't it? Guess it goes to show you not to judge a book by its cover. It's epithet using cover. I can guarantee that next week's show will be interesting too, since I'll be having General James Roosevelt himself on for next week's open table interview. Check us out at our normal time for that, dear listeners. Until then, the Daring Dashwood Mercenary Company is always looking for new members. If you're looking for solid pay for helping a good cause, look no further than the Dashwoods. If you want to sign up, just stop into your nearest Dashwood-sponsored settlement. Before I say goodnight to you, dear listeners, I'll leave you with this. It's easy to judge a book by its cover, especially when the cover is torn and covered in mushrooms, maybe some blood. Even a beat-up old book can contain a good story. Then again, it could also be infested with spider eggs or radioactive mold. I don't know, just use your best judgment, dear listeners. This has been Wasteland Active Radio on the Warfront, with Major Walsh's 19th Division. Crispy, signing off. Wasteland Active Radio was created, written, and produced by Z. Hagen and J. Wilson. Brought to you by the Record And that's why I can never go back to Ohio. What the fuck? How the hell do you mess up scrambled eggs that badly? What made you think using a flamer to cook them was a good idea? Oh, you know, drugs. I still hear the screams of those poor woolies in my nightmares. The fireworks were a nice touch, though. God, I wish that had been me. There you all are. Hello. Hey, guys, what's up? No questions. 
follow me. Please. Whoa, he said please. Must be serious. <gasps> Did you finally dislodge your head from your ass? <gasps> wow, the breeze must feel refreshing <laughs> from both ends. Just keep moving. Oh. Whoa! No angry comeback. No. <laughs> That's foul, you disgusting raider. Uh, or anything? He didn't even call you a raider. This must be serious. I've brought them. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. Hey, cool cats. More friends for this fireside chat. Glad y'all made it. Hey, everybody. What's going on? This isn't an intervention, is it? I swear I haven't used anything outside of alcohol since the weekend. I don't think that's it, Crispy. Uh, you're all acting weird. Er, <laughs> what's going on? Tell them what you told me. Of course. Ahem. We've managed to capture one of Macklin's officers. Really? Uh, that's great, but why are we here? We're waiting for the General and Colonel Grimm to get here before we begin the interrogation in earnest. But he agreed to share a piece of info if we let him speak to all of you first. That... that doesn't make any sense. Why would he want to talk to us? A super mutant officer? He wouldn't happen to be a nightkin, would he? That's right. We have him over here. We'll let him talk to you. But we'll be in the room as well to have some extra ears to take in what he has to say and make sure he doesn't try to escape. You don't think it's him, do you? Who else could it be? Shall we? Are you all ready? Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Hello. Let's do this. Major? Right this way. All right. They're here. Start talking. It really is him. Holy crap. I never thought we'd see him again after he tried to kill us. Uh, hello? Ah, how wonderful to see you all again. Especially you, traitor. Who the hell is this guy? Garrett. I'm so touched to see you all remember me. Ah, what sweet memories we share from such a short time together. I'm certain Macklin will be happy to see you as well, Atlas. <laughs> Look, Crispy, Bucket, Donnie the Clown, and the dissected super mutant are played by Mr. Wilson. The roles of Atlas, Dave, Private Smoker, Sterling, and Badger Boy are played by Mr. Hagen. The role of Johnny is played by B. Sewick, 
and the roles of Chauvin and Major Walsh are played by Britt Eggestall. Britt and their partner Mel both run another channel called Milbert Productions, home to all your nerdy and geeky entertainment needs. Special thanks to our guests this week, Marin J.M. as Esther O'Reilly, and Mr. C. Hageman for returning for his role as Garrett. Wasteland Active Radio is set in the Fallout video game universe owned by Microsoft Studios and Bethesda Softworks. No copyright infringement is intended. Please support the official release. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the Daring Dashwood Mercenary Company!